Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. We are on site at the NAOP July program. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Community. I am here again with Mr. Sean Donosky, CEO of DC Building Group and NAOP Chapter President. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. It's good to see you. You as well. We're going to share our takeaways from this program. The title was, What's in Your Pipeline? How the next 6 to 24 months looks for development, construction, and brokerage. On the panel were Doug Roberts, partner with Panatoni Development, Tabor Thill, Senior Vice President with Colliers International, and four-time NAOP Broker Team of the Year for Office, and Kerry Cartmill, Senior Director of Pre-Construction with DC Building Group. Yeah, he was quite excited to be here. How about that? And I had the pleasure and privilege of moderating this morning. So that was fun. How'd I do? Oh, I think you did pretty good. You did better than good. You did great. And the program sponsor was Envy Energy. Thank you to Jennifer Kelly. The room today was set for 210 people. In the hot summer when everybody's out of town traveling with their families, 200 some odd folks chose to be here with us today. And I think they got their money and time's worth. It was a really good program. It was. I spoke to Jennifer with Indian Energy afterwards, and she was pleasantly surprised at how helpful the discussion and the data for her was. And I encouraged her to come back and, and utilize the data from month to month as Envy Energy works diligently to serve the Valley. It was pretty cool, her sponsor presentation. So breakfast sponsors get a couple minutes up on stage. Her presentation today was about how Envy Energy is incorporating the technologies of the day into their processes. One of the, the cool things that they're doing are push text notifications for when things are inspected and approved or inspected and or denied. I think that's great. Well, I think as our system evolves, it'll create better communication between the customers and themselves uh, to service the valley. This program, Sean, was conceived, I have to give him credit, by, even though I don't like to, by Reed Gottesman with Harsh, who's on the Programs Committee for NAOP and also on the board. And when Reed thought about this, he was curious. You know, we got a developer, a very active developer and tenured de and, you know, experienced guy in, in Doug Roberts. You've got one of the most active office brokers in the market with Tabor Thill. And Kerry, who's been around for a long time, you could speak more about him and his resume you know, focusing on construction and pre-construction for one of the most active general contractors in the market, which is DC Building Group. So the thought is, if we know what they're working on today and where they're choosing to spend their time, we can have a good sense of what's to come over the next, you know, short-term six months, longer-term 24 months. So we started out the conversation trying to get some specificity. You know, when Doug Roberts is having his partner calls, how far out do they measure? And when Kerry comes and gives you a report of everything that's logged, how far out do they measure? And when Tabor is looking, when him and his award-winning team are meeting, how far out are they projecting? And there were some similarities, obviously, because you know everything is 
obviously a contractor is tied to developers and brokers are tied to the process, but there were some differences too in, in how they look at it. Yeah, when you look at Doug's uh, perspective, he's, he's two to three years out. Um, from the inception of when they make an offer on the property, they still gotta go through design. Uh, as the contractor, Kerry mentioned, we're 12 to 24 months out, so we're not quite as far out because uh, Panatoni per se or any other developer has been already working for 12 months. And, and also, your construction stops. And one of the things he so one of the wisdoms Doug shared was, when they're when they're planning a development, you know, the norm right now is they're going to build a spec building and it'll be leased before it's done. And he cautioned everybody in the room that is not the norm. Don't normalize to that. Don't calibrate to that. The norm is you're going to build a building and give yourself 12 months after to either lease it up and or to lease it up and fully exit. So 12 months after DC's off the job, Doug's still there trying to figure out how do I get out of this thing? In a normal market, he would still be there holding the building, trying to lease it up. Yep. And he was probably the most, uh, his words were skittish on the market after the next two years. So he cautioned everyone over and over again. He did. That this is not normal. He mentioned those of us that have been in the market maybe 10 years or less that this is not normal. We need to go back and budget and plan for our developments a little more conservatively. I felt pretty good on that point. He said, if anybody got into this into this industry in 2009 and 10, you're good because your expectations are low. I really got focused on commercial real estate in 2007, which I would say was the absolute worst time because it was peaking. It wasn't at peak. It was peaking, which gave me some hope that I could go out and make millions and millions of dollars. And I just rode this puppy down all the way to the trenches. And we stayed there for a while, didn't we? Well, look where you're at now. I think you're doing quite well. I get to hang out with you, so I guess so. You did. Um, or you do get to. Doug talked about several of his projects that are in the pipeline, and I, a little naive on my part, I did not realize how many he has coming up. He talked about 200,000 square foot in North Las Vegas, 500,000 square foot, 616,000 square foot in Henderson, 83,000 square foot, 183,000 square foot, 40 acres in design, and another 75,000 square foot in the southwest build a suit. That's here in the southern part of Nevada. He also oversees the northern part of Nevada. And I don't know what he has up there, but I'm sure he's just as busy. I asked him before the panel, what are you doing in, in Phoenix? He said, not very much. And I don't think it's an indication of, of anything other than he's choosing to, to stay busy in, in projects uh, for Nevada. He also mentioned something very cool that for Panatoni nationally, he heads the Amazon team. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those meetings to see what they're cooking up in, inside their buildings. Yeah, he caught himself several times realizing uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of data there he could not disclose, mm -hmm. uh, which probably makes it even more intriguing about what he's working on. So Tabor talked about his pipeline as a, a, as a broker. They look at, I think he said 18 to 24 months also. Yes, he did. So I, I was surprised by that. My view of brokers being one is that they're, they're more shorter term in their view and projections you know absolutely we measure things on a calendar year but you know pushing past that what what's giving him cause to look past that is for the first time in 10 years there are spec office developments happening in this market two of which he's working on yes he talked about i believe it's called the narrative yes. southwest off the 215 which is going to house collier's new offices i believe that's the uh, is that the moretti lapore correct partnership yes 120,000 square feet to be done summer of 2020 that's Jeff Lapore, NAOP board member 
Yes, it is. And then he also talked about one in West Henderson. I believe he said it was called The Village. Village, yes. The okay. Village at West Henderson. It took me a second there, Sean. You know, we're talking a little bit before this. Because I was moderating today, you know this because you're up there on the uh, at the podium a lot. Usually I sit in the audience, I have a notepad, people talk, I listen, I write my takeaways down, and I absorb information. When you're up there as a moderator, it's a whole different activity. It's a whole different state of mind that you have to shift into. You're asking a question. You want to hear the answer because there might be something there to, to pick up on. You're also at the same time thinking about what is the next answer. You're thinking about, well, Doug, just answer this one, Tabor, answer this one. I need to pivot to carry, and how do I do that? You're, you're monitoring the crowd. You're watching the clock. Um, you're nervous. You're excited. You're in the zone. You're in the moment. There's a lot up there. So I did listen to some stuff. I got to write some things down, mostly to create segues. However, I'm relying on you for the detail on this one. Well, I appreciate you doing that for me. <laughs> so we talked about Doug. We talked a little bit about Tabor and then shifted over to Carrie. You guys don't call it a pipeline in your industry. You call it a backlog or a log? Yeah, we consider it backlog. Uh, we have a backlog that's under contract, and we have a backlog that's pending under contract where we have probabilities in that. So the, the backlog under contract could be 12 to 24 months, but there could be further stuff out there that could be in the pending. If, if we're working on something that's truly pre-construction, we're in design for a year, and then we're in construction. So that gives us a longer backlog or a longer forecast to consider. It's interesting just the, the use of the words you know, pipeline is almost forward-looking. Backlog, by definition, is backward-looking. Yeah, I think there is probably uh, poor wording there, but that is typical in our industry. It's Yeah, it words matter, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, just something that I, I picked up on and decided right there to geek out about. So share with us a little bit about, you know, what did Kerry... I asked him a specific question. First of all, how do you measure your backlog? Then what is currently in your backlog that you can talk about, specific projects that you could share? One of our clients that has uh, become a really good partner with us has been Remington, Nevada. And whether it's their work in, in, in what they are, is they're mostly a retail shopping center type developer. And the bulk of the work we've been doing for them is actually in the Phoenix and Gilbert area of Arizona. So in the last 18 months, there's been eight buildings and the tenants that go along with that. And we just got contracts for another four or five buildings. So as far as what's in our backlog, those are pretty good backlogs. And it's, it's retail. Mm -hmm. Now, retail kind of would tend to go up and down with the economy very rapidly. But they're seeing a pretty stable market in that. Are they building the same kind of stuff that... When I think about retail, I, I think about an Albertsons there with some inline around it, or are they shifting because of the difference in how people consume and, and buy retail now? It's still traditional retail. It's get an anchor, get a couple big tenants, and then fill it in with the smaller tenants. But the brands are, are newer. They're newer brands. They're not the old brands, or, and they're more franchises. So it's, it's the same product, maybe mm -hmm. a different client type fascinating some of the other things that we've got that we're hot in the middle of is two charter schools uh, and charter we've got one charter school down on boulder highway where they were uh, i think it was an old big five or it was a really old retail building and they took it completely converted it mm -hmm. uh, gutted it put a gymnasium in it and again boulder highway we talked about boulder highway last month didn't we we did and With ken chapa from the city of henderson 
So completely revitalize this site, and it'll become a school here in the next three weeks. And uh, an example of how real estate built for a previous retail tenant is being converted to the use of the day, which is there's a need for charter schools. There is. There's a very high need for that. When we asked Tabor what he's working on, he really focused on these two office developments because th those are you know, really newsworthy, the first time in 10 years. He pointed to his, his fellow office brokers in the audience and said how, how excited and, and how significant it is for them to have new product to work on and to bring tenants into. Some of the drivers that he talked about was the employment, office employment in Southern Nevada. He pointed at 5.8%. And the way this works is for every employee you hire, there's a correlation to how much square footage in the market is being absorbed for that for that employee. We've talked about this before here at Takeaways, which is, you know, the trend where it used to be you're building 250 square feet on average per employee has gone down dramatically. 200, our building that we built, um, you know, we, we moved in last August, it's 176 square feet per employee. So the density inside of the space is getting higher. And what that's doing is it's shifting expectations on parking. If I'm putting more people in the building, I need to have more parking stalls outside. So those parking ratios of 4 and 5% may or may not be adequate today. Well, he talked about organizations like WeWork mm -hmm. is transforming the office market type. Years ago, it used to be Regis just by themselves. And now WeWork's come in, and there's a couple others. And they're continuing to take... Uh, one he mentioned was 90,000 square feet at a time. I don't recall where that was. And uh, and they're going in some Class A office space. And he also talked about Class A office space having a vacancy rate of 2.4%. Mm -hmm. And rents are up to 344 a square foot, something like that, yep. which is up about a dollar from about right. recent years. Mm -hmm. uh, so he talked about the whole market, office market changing. And then also with the parking, he mi he noted... The parking here is a challenge versus other areas of the country because we don't have a mass transit system. Mm -hmm. I didn't consider that variable. Um, Two things on that that I observed. Later on in the Q&A, somebody asked about the eastern part of the market, East Flamingo, East Desert Inn, East Sahara, these buildings that were built once upon a time when parking ratios were two and three per thousand because there was a lot of, I don't know, excess space for courtyards and atriums and that kind of stuff. What I found interesting is if and when we do get to the day where mass transit is a thing automotive or help me out here Sean what's the word I'm looking for automated vehicles driverless cars driverless cars are a thing thank you autonomous for, for auton thank you Sean autonomous vehicles if and when we do get to that do those buildings come back into play kind of a rhetorical question that I was kicking back you know kicking around my head and the, and the, the buildings that we're building today with seven per thousand ten per thousand do those become obsolete or do you start building more buildings on the land that you have that was for parking. So <laughs> now you're going back to another NAOP yeah. discussion yeah, yeah. with, with Tina Quigley. Get all my stuff here at NAOP. There you go. You, you found me out. Let's, let's go back to that PowerPoint. That's right. <laughs> another. So when he talks about, you know, we didn't have WeWork in the market ever, except for this year. They started signing leases here, and they're taking down big blocks of space. So 90,000 square feet. Just to put it into perspective, Tabor's, one of his projects, narrative, is 100,000 square feet for the whole building. Now, they wouldn't go in there and take 100,000 square feet, but just to put that into perspective, how much space that actually is. Yeah, he talked about two spec buildings, and one was 100, and one was 120. Yeah. Narrative, I know, is 100. I think the 120, or it might be even a bit bigger. I can't remember, again, because I was busy moderating. 
uh, which is the West Henderson project. But that is so interesting. Now, Rick Myers would punch me in the nose if I didn't if I didn't raise this question. WeWork is cool. It's an awesome, flashy brand. There's no question that them and other companies like them are filling a need in the way that office leasing is changing, going from everything that has to be a long-term lease to companies need flexibility. Startups need flexibility. Divi you know, I want to erect a division, but I don't want to sign a five-year lease to do it. I need it for less time. It's creating all this flexibility. They have a lot of uncertainty and volatility around them as a company financially they keep raising money and keep raising money and keep raising money i think the ipo is is slated here pretty soon but it is something to watch just because it's a flashy brand just because they take a lot of space doesn't mean you shouldn't raise an eyebrow and and, and ask a few questions well their tenant is a volatile tenant like you said there's not longevity there's not stability there is very quick and agile and that can create a challenge we talked a lot about timelines, uh, permits, costs, competition, labor, all of that. I put an equal sign next to it when Doug was bringing them up. Equal sign is concerns. You know, costs are going up. He doesn't see them coming down or anything that would cause them to come down. Permits are taking longer. Labor, you know, we heard this actually at the NAIA, excuse me, the SIOR luncheon uh, a week or two ago. It was a panel of very well-known general contractors here in the market. And they said, for the first time, your schedule is being affected by labor for the first time since any of them have been building in Southern Nevada. Do you want to speak on, on that? Yeah, I, I see projects that the timeline is actually extended for no other factor than available labor. And it's not about working extra hours or extra shifts or extra weekends. The labor is just not there. There is such a high demand to get the work done. Some of the trades, they're at capacity. But then when I asked Doug, are, are your construction timelines different now than before? He said, no. So how do I reconcile that? I don't have an answer for you there. I, I'm not Doug. It, it is an impact. Um, Here's the only thing I could think about is Doug has been building in this market for years. A, a contractor like DC has been building in this market for years. If you have a job and you need to call your subs and exercise a relationship, you have that ability, whereas somebody who has not been here that long or as active or one of the things Doug talked about, treated everybody well along the way, they might not have that. So it might not be that a project that Doug is building has a significant effect, but maybe some of the, I don't know how to describe them. I don't want to say fringe. I don't want to say lower tier because that might not be the case, but maybe those without strong relationships are suffering from that. Well, now that I've had a moment to think about your question that you put me on the spot with. That's what I do, Sean. I think the product type is, is very important to construction scale, schedule and available manpower. When you're building these big box tilt-up construction, I don't think those timelines have extended. I think it's more in the intricacies of specialty, detailed, uh, build-to-suits where there's a lot of technical need or special manpower. You can't stack the manpower as much as you like that are being more impacted. When it comes to a big box, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the production rates are still there. Got it. See? But Doug continued, he became a skeptic quite a bit today when he was talking about the, the concerns about land cost, and he had a quote, this is when crazy stuff happens. He didn't say stuff. He said S-H-I-T. Well, okay, so I improvised it. 
That's what he wanted. No, you're a wholesome. You're a wholesome person. <laughs> I know you can't say it. That's why I spelled it out and didn't say it myself. He said. He said the math does not work to have our absorption keep up with what we're building. He looks at several variables in in his world, and those were, those are waving flags for him. He didn't. He didn't want to say the sky was falling, but he raised. No, raised I think caution. he was very prudent in his comments. It's not, guys. You know, I'm pedal to the metal and cooking with gas it was yeah, i mean we're active he talked about how active they are they're everyone's tired because they're so active and you know folks not just in his office but their design teams they're so everyone needs a break because we, we've been running and gunning you know he raises a a good caution and it was a prudent caution is the way that i took it well he says that and then you look at how much they're working on mm -hmm. they're still pretty aggressive <laughs> exactly so let's maybe that was a word for his competition to stop so he can keep going. You think so? I don't know. Doug is a sly guy. Um, we talked about I asked everyone a question sort of to, to transition into Q&A. We'll share those and then we'll, we'll cut it short here. So I asked Tabor, Carrie and Doug all to share three things. What is the most exciting thing that they're looking on that's in their pipeline over the next 24 months or so? What is the biggest threat that they're facing? And what one thing will keep them the most busy. So the big takeaway I got, both Carrie and Doug, within the threat, mentioned land pricing. I thought that was something to look at. What Tabor said that resonated with me is the clock is his biggest threat, meaning he only has so much time in the day. There's a lot going on. He has to be careful and mindful on where he chooses to spend his time to be the most productive. Before we finish, I thought there was a really good discussion that you had that came from the Q&A, and it was the impacts in the center of town versus the suburbs. There was a lengthy conversation about product types such as the uh, Hughes Center, and that complex is, what, 60 acres, 1.4 million square feet? And Tabor was pretty optimistic about that product still maintaining and being successful because the new product is going to be so expensive to build that the rents can be more affordable in the heart of the town. The question from the audience came, you know, what does, you know, new class A development mean for the Valley and specifically how will it affect Hughes Center, which is at Paradise and Flamingo, and the stats that you shared, 60 acre project, one point, what is it, 2 million square feet, which is 27% of all the class A inventory in the market. I have a, a strong... Quarter. A quarter, a quarter of all I have a, the office space. I have a strong opinion about this, and that's where I chimed in. And everything you said is correct. What will happen, though, and what Tabor said with Hughes Center, is it becomes the low-cost alternative to Class A space in the market. If you're at downtown Summerlin in those buildings, you're going to pay top-of-market rents. If you're at Uncommons when that gets built, at Narrative when that gets built, you will pay a premium to be in those locations, to be around those southwest amenities to be a jump on and a jump off that 215 beltway that connects Summerlin on the northwest, Henderson Green Valley to the southeast. You have a lot of communities like Mountain's Edge there along Blue Diamond that you can get to. That's where the workforce is. That's where they want to be. I live in Summerlin. You are an anomaly. You live way up northwest. My partner, Jared, lives in Green Valley. That's why when we looked at when we were moving our company, where do we want to be? Jones and 215 for all those reasons. I believe that when those projects get built along the 215, it will create a vacuum and tenants will choose to be there. And 
I don't just think it'll be pricing. I think it's going to be vacancy that Hugh Center will suffer from. I think if I'm Hugh Center right now, I look at myself strongly and I shake off all of the perceptions that I had about myself as a project and as far as what I mean to the overall community. They are doing things like that. They're building an apartment right in the middle, which people think is crazy. I know the tenants who are there aren't excited about it because of the construction. However, long term, that's the right move. When I looked for our office building, it was about five years ago, right where you're at, that 215 in Jones was mm -hmm. my first choice. The market recovered, prices started escalating. I ended up with my second choice, which is where we're at now, closer to Las Vegas Boulevard in the 215, which works out very well. But I agree, that 215 Southwest area there is going to continue to be popular. A uh, couple comments today were talked about California companies moving here. And it resonated with me because I spent the last three days in San Bernardino um, at an event with my family. And for the first time, the majority of the people there are from Southern California. There were multiple people talking about the regulation and the processes being implemented in California that they are considering leaving. Now, I've vis visited California quite a bit over the years, and I've, I've never heard that firsthand. Mm -hmm. And to hear that firsthand this weekend, um, there's a change. Uh, some of what they're doing there is going to impact us in a good way moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I think it's opportunity. I think there's a there's a click difference here in what what we're talking about, which is California companies and California residences coming to Southern Nevada. Ever since I got into this business, ever since I became a professional here in Southern Nevada, I, one of the first people that I ever met was Summer Hollingsworth, who was at the time running the NDA, which is the predecessor to the Las Vegas, help me out, Global Economic Alliance. Summer back then was running campaigns, bringing companies from California, bringing residents from California to Las Vegas. This isn't anything new. What's different is what you talked about. It's the conversations that they're having there. This isn't just summer creating a guerrilla marketing campaign with a billboard in a busy street in, in Los Angeles. This is, I think, coming from the inside out. These were business owners that I spoke to. And again, it was a different feel than what I've heard before. So maybe with their last legislative changes, we'll see more activity. If any of those business owners that you're talking to are looking to buy or lease commercial real estate space, Sean, I'm happy to help them. I gave them your card. Thank you so much. That is a wrap. Thank you so much, Sean, for being here with me today. Those are our takeaways. Please leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.